Ministry, where we talk pop culture entertainment and how it relates to the teachings of Jesus. Whether movies, TV, streaming, we talk about it. My name is R.S. Buckner. I'm a Christian husband, father, pastor, designer, and nerd. And the topic of today, uh, we are going to review the whole series of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, this is a mad spoiler discussion. For those uh, who are joining us, maybe it's new. Uh, you listen, whoever's out there, I'm sure someone's out there. Uh, you know, we're gonna talk. We're gonna spoil the whole uh, series. I, I want, obviously, I'm not gonna cover everything about it, but you know, you can go back and see it. But I'm gonna spoil major plot points in this. So um, please don't listen to this. Go back and watch it. Or go through the series. You'll get a lot more out of it. If you haven't seen the series or don't plan on seeing the series, I think there's still some things you can take out of this, uh, especially as we look at uh, the biblical aspects to it, that I think can, can help you uh, in, in some way. But again, for those who are, want to see the series, we're going to spoil it. So I just want to let you know from the jump here. And again, this is not your average spoiler discussion. Uh, this is not your average kind of movie review uh, podcast. Again, for those who are new, um, I, I break it down in different ways. Uh, if you want to get all the film aspects and break down from from a you know a, you know a director's or a film critic point of view or, or just just spoiling the the movie and or, or show in general there's a ton of other podcasts for you to go check out this is going to see uh things from a, a biblical perspective from a christian worldview perspective we break things down in about four areas uh first impressions you know what it what i think uh forbidden fruit um, and this is kind of the concept of, of Adam and Eve, where they took a bite of the fruit, wasn't what they expected. So so this section, we're going to talk about our characters in the film, something that appears good to them until you take a bite, until they take a bite out of it and realize that was a bad idea. I'm reminded of, of Ron Burgundy drinking more milk. You know, milk was a bad choice like that. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, the next part, the third part is come to Jesus, right? It's, it's a very familiar phrase, come to, the, come to Jesus moment. And this is what, what would Jesus think uh, in this scenario? And what did he teach? And, and this is kind of the cool aspects of how we can fold in the scriptures to kind of our, our modern day pop culture things. And then lastly is personal revelation. What did I learn from all of this, from this whole exploration? And hopefully as I'm going on the journey and watching these films or watching these shows or reading these books, whatever it is, or, or reading the news and how do I interpret my world through a Christian perspective. And, and that's kind of the cool thing about it. And hopefully you enjoy all of that. So, uh, you know, with that, we'll, we'll dive right on in. Now, to refresh your memory, uh, I'm going to kind of overview kind of the the major storylines and, um, and, then, and then I'll get into kind of what I thought of everything. And so again, if you haven't seen the show, this is a part that may um, help you, uh, you know, bring you up to speed. Uh, if you have seen the show, this would be a healthy reminder uh, for you with that. So, uh, so yeah, let, let, let's let's talk about it. So in episode one of the series uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, again, it's tapping into the greater Marvel Universe uh, world here. And I love how these shows, we, you know, they just finished uh, WandaVision, and that explored uh, Wanda Maximoff and, and Vision, uh, and this explores uh, Bucky Barnes and Sam Wilson, uh, as, as Sam, Sam being Falcon, Bucky being the Winter Soldier, and their relationship in, in this world that they, that they are living in post uh, 
uh, Endgame, right? Post the the events that happen from Endgame. So, so as we dive in, episode one really is titled New World Order, and it really sets the tone that I won't get into every episode after this, but just want to paint the picture from this one. And, and again, the world is much different after the Thanos, right? Um, after the Thanos snap that we got in Infinity War. And so the world's much different as these, as these people came back because of the events of Endgame, um, came back to, to their world. They're trying to reconcile this new world. And there's a lot that, that has happened when, again, I'm not going to explain too much of it. If you're lost in all this, I'm sorry for you, but but this is this is the podcast of people who love movies and, and love Jesus, right? And if you want to get into that, I hope this inspires you to get into that. So I'm going to talk about things that may go over your head. I hope you stick around. I hope you get something out of it. But, uh, you know, if we get into Infinity War, you know, Thanos, the main baddie, the villain, um, he gives this this snap from the Infinity Gauntlet. It kills. Oh, there's, there's a, a Siri always butting into my conversation, Siri. What are you doing? Um, but sorry about that, everybody. Uh, you know, we get into Infinity War where it talks about the, the Thanos snap. And this snap. Uh, killed half the the world, and and because of that, um, you know, uh, people disappeared for like I think it was like five years, and so in Endgame they you know our heroes uh, reclaim the Infinity Gauntlet through this amazing events. Again, I, I'm totally oversimplifying the movie, but they bring everyone back, and so you had basically half uh, of the world, half of all life form really in the universe who comes back all of a sudden, had been gone for five years. And so you can imagine there's a lot that that ha- has, has happened. There's a lot that uh, people are trying to re-engage in life after being gone for five years, right? And you can imagine five years, people have moved into your home or moved into your apartment or, or you know, maybe your dog stayed, your dog now has become their dog, right? I mean, there's a, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> being funny here, but, but there's a lot that's changed. And so how do you reconcile these people who have been lost, who are coming into this world, who's, it's really a, a different world at this point. So that's what we get. And episode one sets that tone, even in the title, New World Order. There's so much different. Our, our heroes are struggling in, in real life and we're brought up to speed in different aspects, particularly in Sam Wilson, who plays Falcon, um, who is, you know, Falcon, the hero and Bucky Barnes, who is the Winter Soldier, we see their struggles uh, in this new world and in trying to get back to some type of normal life, whatever that means. In Sam's case, he's got some family struggles. His sister's losing, you know, losing money in the business of the family boat. Um, you know, there's financial struggles. He's trying to get a loan. He can't get a loan because he's been gone for five years. Um, plus, discovers this like dark history of the government and and racism that also is burdening, uh, that puts a burden on him. And, and again, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But then there's Bucky's struggles, right? He's dealing with with real trauma. If you followed him through the series ever since the Winter Soldier, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, he he's dealing with real trauma of being brainwashed and and uh, into this this killer, and and he's coming back from that. But, but you can't do away with all of the consequences that he's accrued over that time. The people he's killed, namely uh, Tony Stark's parents, right? And that, spoiler alert, that has the whole plot line of Captain American Civil War. And so he's working through his own things. And we see him uh, going to therapy, 
um, and trying to deal with it. It really is mandatory therapy. He's not trying to, that's not his mode to deal with it. But he has this list, and we'll get into that a little bit, where he's trying to uh, exercise those demons of his past. And and so he's alone in all this. There's no real family. Uh, Chris Evans, you know, plays Captain America, um, is is gone. You know, that 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 he has moved on. So that was his closest friend. And 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 there is no more uh, Captain America as we see it entering the first episode. And there's no real friends. He, he has no real friends that he can connect with. Uh, he wasn't really close to anybody else. It was really just Captain America. And so he's utterly alone. And we see that it the show, uh, uh, the director does a great job of of giving us um, just great images of him being alone, waking up, up, waking up out of his sleep and bad dreams and nightmares, and just alone in his place. He's sleeping on the floor, right? Uh, can't be comfortable. He, he's he's restless. So we get that. Uh, we also get these villains, uh, quote unquote villains, that we'll say for now. I think the show does a great job of of really asking the question: who are who are really our villains in, in our world? But as for Time's sake, you know, in, in the first episode, we see these villains who are called the Flag Smashers, and, and they have come up because of the disappearance for that five years. They they have learned to adjust with half the population gone, and, and, and a lot of good had happened. Uh, you had certain people out of power that had given space for, for those to get into power who otherwise wouldn't have power. And you have these this group called the Flag Smashers who, who stepped into that role to help out parts of society and their world and their communities but now that everybody's brought back they are forced back into a, a, a submissive of subversive type position that that they're like no I don't want we don't want to go back to that and so they're wrestling and 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 dealing with their own issues there and seeing the injustice that it, that that was there prior to the separation and the blip is what people call it the snap the Thanos snap and then now seeing that oppression and and um, injustice coming back with that with that half of that population come back along with its leaders and dictators and and authoritarians and everything else that comes with that. So you have that as these villains. Then you have a new character uh, named John Walker who steps into Captain America's role, and he becomes this you know uh, I don't know this this counterfeit Captain America, and he's given the shield prematurely because. Sam didn't want it, you know, Falcon, he didn't want it and didn't see worth being worthy of it. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, so, so he gets the shield prematurely. Um, and, and so it's, it's like, who is this guy? It feels weird. He's feeling, uh, you know, the role of Captain America. It's like, oh, can this, can he do it? I mean, you know, everyone is doubting him. And so I feel for him because he's trying to, make a mark for himself but everyone's doubting him and so so this is kind of the world that we walk walk into so far and and it really sets the tone for the rest of the the season i'm not going to get into every little episode um you know again for the sake of time but we'll talk about the big themes and all of this and the characters i just mentioned we will circle back and talk about those characters especially in the next section when we talk about the, the forbidden fruit of all of it. But I hope this gives you a sense of kind of where the world is in this moment, where the world is up to this point, uh, and what 
our characters are going through. So, so that being said, I do want to get into our first part, which is my first impressions. So when looking at the, the first impressions, um, you know, given the, the the brief background that I gave you, uh, I, you know, I, I thought they the world building, um, I thought did a decent job. I think the first couple episodes, I honestly, you know, to be frank, I, I felt was very cheesy, especially coming off of, um, you know, WandaVision. I thought that whole series was a masterpiece like it was you i mean they came out of the gate swinging and and they hooked me and i always got this feeling with with falcon and winter soldier i'm like one before i even seen wandavision i didn't think they can live up to uh or watching you know the trailer for falcon winter soldier i thought like this is not going to live up to any of the movies and it's probably going to be lame right um, and then I saw WandaVision. I thought, oh, whoa, like these, these shows are, I mean, they're pumping money in it, effort, direction, writing. This is going to be great. But I said in the back of my mind, I don't know how strong this is going to be. So I went in, obviously, already discounting the show. It, you know, my interest came up just a little bit because of WandaVision. But I think because how so well WandaVision was, I really uh, did not like the, the first two or three episodes. I think the four, uh, uh, I think maybe at the end of the third episode, it really started to, to bring me in and it started to warm up to it. And to be honest, um, man, it, it ended up being um, a decent series. I wouldn't say it was great, but it was good. And um, I really enjoyed diving into the character development once once I got settled in, right? Um, then I, I really I really loved it. It's like putting on new shoes or something or put on new clothes like that there there's there there is a a a rigid part to it until you more so shoes i guess not so much clothes but you know you can you can feel the the newness to it it's not worn in yet and um but once it gets worn in once the shoe uh kind of molds to your feet uh you feel more comfortable and feel more settled in and i felt like this show needed that uh wandavision had me right away first episode I love the, the take on it. I was there. This took some time for me to warm up. But once I did, I'm like, wow, I really love it. And I, and I especially loved the last episode. I thought it was, um, it, it got me, you know, and I'm not an emotional guy. It got me emotional. And I thought that there were some things that they did that furthered not only the, just the characters that we see, particularly uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I mean, it's all in the name for the show. But I thought it really furthered just the idea of who we could be as, as a people, given what's happened in the past year, 13, 14 months. Um, 
man, like I thought there were some really great themes that, that I want my kids to be able to draw from that I think adds to society, right? That adds to the social consciousness that I thought, man, this, this is good stuff. The same way I felt like Black Panther did that uh, in a lot of ways uh, within the Marvel Universe. This was really good. And so kudos to everybody in the writing team for, for that. Um, so, so that's what I thought of kind of the first impressions. Good, not great. Um, uh, it didn't take me out once I once I really got into it, and and again I, I'm really excited for the other properties they're going to roll out because I do think Marvel is spending great time to, in their attempts to produce the best that they can, and that these TV shows are not kind of you know side adventures and and you know uh, you know give us our feel till we get to the movies. These are six hour movies seven hour movies i mean they're doing a really great job uh at this so but let's get to our next point because i think it uh it gets us really in, in depth into the characters and we can dig a little bit more deeper and so let's talk about the forbidden fruit you know when we get into the forbidden fruit uh, again this part is um you know you bite you know when adam and eve you bite into this forbidden fruit where god says not to eat you're biting it to it thinking hey it's going to give me what I want, which for them was the knowledge. But in fact, it was the complete opposite. They got very insecure. They, wasn't, they weren't able to handle what they felt from this fruit. And I just think in life, there's a lot of things that we can, can fantasize or think of or, or hope for um, really immaturely or, or uh, uneducated wise that we, we get into and, and, and we're not being wise. And when we bite into it, we, we quickly realize this is not what I wanted. Um, this is not what I hope for. And so this is the part of Forbidden Fruit I want to get into. And really the, the theme of this is, is living our own truth, living by what we think is right or what we think is going to make us feel better. And I think this plays out all through this series. And every character, it seems, every main character, it seems, uh, grabs onto their personal truth, their subjective truth to guide them through this world, right? Through this new world, or or, or at least to be the the ends uh, or the means to an end of what they're feeling or getting over or, or, or to get past, right? For example, when we talk about Sam, um, he doesn't take the shield, right? He, he, it's kind of a, 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 a pacifism here. He's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worthy to, to, to take on the shield um what let's leave let's leave the shield in the museum right let let's let's keep it in its place this shield is, is serves greater than just captain america but but symbolize something that he thought the expectation was too high and, and he won't even he won't even attempt to get it even when they asked him hey do you want um would you like to take up the shield right he he declined on that and so so what what his truth was is hey I, i'm i'm not i'm not worthy of this thing like i, I don't um I don't want to step into this. This is not my role. This is not, I don't know, what, I don't know if he would say it's not my fight because he still he continued to fight and, 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 and track down people who uh, were, you know, uh, being uh, enemies uh, of our world and he didn't give up his position. Uh, he was still a hero in many respects. But I think in terms of leadership role, he was passing that on um, to someone else. And that played out to have just major uh, consequences to it. Uh, namely, you had John Walker step and fill those shoes who he shouldn't have 
stepped into that role. If Sam was there, he he wouldn't have taken that mantle, I would think. But because Sam wasn't there, steps here steps in someone who is not qualified at all uh, to take this shield um, versus Sam. And so for him, he's thinking, hey, I I'm believing he believed in that he wasn't the one. But when we look at um, contrast that with the Winter Soldier, there's some other things that are going and not so much contrast. But when we look at Winter Soldier Bucky, um, his truth that he was battling with and really trusting to guide him was his redemption list. Like for for him to get rid of those demons, um, it, it simply was to uh, to go at it and, and to 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 in a sense, penance um, is kind of what he was looking towards, right? This extreme version of penance, this self-punishment for him that that he's uh, much like Sam, not worthy, but but just a horrible person and and is putting himself through some horrible situations, but also trying to to reclaim and 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 do these these minor acts of kindness that that could do away with the the um, I guess the evil and and and, and the haunting from these past events uh, of, of just his life and thinking that, hey, if, if I go about doing these small acts of kindness, that that will take that away from me. And obviously he quickly realizes it doesn't. And, and, and there's a really great uh, interaction between him and Sam where he's like, dude, you, you can't be going about doing these things, trying to exercise these demons in terms of basically saying, man, you got you to gotta live this stuff out. And so I thought that was really cool. Sam really pointed that out. Like you could take this book around and try to X these things out. Uh, you did what you did. And, and there's nothing going to take that away. And that's some truth to that. Where, the, you know, actions we've got to really live by. And, and no matter, there's no amount of good that can outweigh the things that we've done. Now, it doesn't mean we don't try to attempt to do good and try to be someone different. But Sam was basically saying, like, you've got to live that person. Stop acting like it. And, and I feel like that that's what Bucky was doing. He was he was acting good and not being good, right? He was acting uh to this list was was a way to act like as if he was good. Instead of really looking to himself and saying, Hey, I, I am a different person. And I just need to just live that out, right? But 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 again, his internal internal thought process and his truth was Hey man, I I need I need to do good things in order to be good, and again that leads to him still not feeling good at the end of the day, and him still build, battling those demons. Those things weren't going to go away. And then when we look at the Flax Master, the leader of the Flax Master, Carly, uh, her inter- internal monologue or truth that she lives by was that violence gets things done. It's going to be anarchy. She she lived in this alternate world where you know half the population had left and she was happy she she found a role in this her and and her um you know partners and community of, of, of other flax masters that she had recruited have built this kind of cool world of of unity and almost uh, egalitarian type um community uh, but it all changed when everyone came back and so in that she just thought, man, the only answer to this is anarchy. The only answer to this is to, is, is to be violent. So that they'll, so the GRC, and we'll get to that later, this organization that's in charge of these displaced persons, that they will see that, that this is how things get done. 
And she holds to that, man, to the very end of the series, which, again, there's a consequence to that. It, it leads to her death, uh, that thinking. Next, we get into uh, John Walker, right, the counterfeit cap, and, and his uh, internal monologue, right, the truth that he's holding to is, is power and strength, right? Uh, we need to eliminate by force. I mean, he, he is your authoritarian. Um, like, this is what America stands for, right? Law and order. Like, this is what we need to go by. And, and he brings that. Um, I mean, you see shades of that in how he's dealing with things. Unsure. We just need to go in. Very impulsive. Um, but man, once he takes that super serum, man, it is like heightened to 11, right? Um, he is all about uh, uh, smashing, right? It's almost like a human version of Hulk. I mean, there there is just no empathy. There is is no remorse. He's incredibly punitive. It's just going about um, just, you know, you know, in a sense like Carly, violence, going about violence, but in a very authoritarian type of way. Uh, he's not seeking anarchy. He's seeking to smash and to squelch and to snuff out and to silence. Like that is his mode. And that's what he is living by. That is his truth. Uh, we have some other characters that pop in, kind of more of the side characters that but I want to talk to because they fit into this idea of forbidden fruit. Zemo that we get, and Baron Zemo, he was in a Captain American Civil War. He was the main um, antagonist in that. And um, we find that he pops up here. They need him to find some answers about the power broker. Uh, and, and so what we find about Zemo who has some real hurts, who's reeling, if you remember, back in um, Captain America Civil War, he lost his whole family. He's lost his whole culture because of what had happened and transpired um, there in Sokovia of, of just the destruction um, of that, that whole event. And so his truth that he's living for, he's a narcissist, man, at this point. Uh, maybe he wasn't as much before when he had his family, his community there. But he's a narcissist. He's rich. He's a baron. Uh, and all he thinks about is his interest. Everything revolves around him. Um, and he will do, he would lie, cheat, steal, kill in order to get his way. And, and that's, what, that's what his truth that he lives by is I, in order for survival, um, I've got to be a narcissist, right? I don't know if he's cho chosen narcissism. But, but that's what he's cling, clung on to as uh, a way to get through and, and to survive in this world. Um, next, we have uh, Sharon Carter, who we find out at the end of the episode, he, she's the power broker, right? This, this powerful entity in this place of Madripoor that, we'll, again, we'll talk a little bit uh, about. But in Sharon's case, you know, throughout the series of the films, she is... Um, you know, I think, but uh, I don't forgot what movie after what movie, maybe um, Civil War. She had mentioned that that she's on the run and, and the government um, looks at her as, as this evil person. So for her, th there's a sense of um, her result of, of again, her inner, inner monologue and her truth is deception and violence is, is what she's clung on to. Um, a mistrust uh, is is kind of at the core of, of her decisions um, that she can't no, because she's not trusted and she's been shunned and pushed out. She can no longer trust. And she's kind of always been that way. But, but I think, man, is it more e exemplified and, and, and um, 
just pushed to the forefront of her decision making is just this mistrust and abandonment, maybe abuse there uh, for her that leads to deception and violence. And we see, you know, obviously towards the end of the series, her um, execute violence um, on a lot of people. And so, and then lastly, I want to talk about Io, who's part of the, the Dora Milaje. We don't see a lot of, but man, when they come in, they make an entrance. And I love the Dora Milaje. Um, there's a lot of things, again, um, if you go back and look at my um, episode about Black Panther, oh man, there's a lot of love about that world and the world building there. And Dora Milaje were, were at the top of the list. I love the 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 way that's realized on on screen and and io um has this kind of punitive uh, absolutist view that's the inner monologue for her justice needs to be served zemo um uh you know kind of led to the death of uh, t'chaka uh, you know black panther's dad and he needs to serve justice and we are going to take him and he is going to serve justice, right? There's no excuse. Uh, we are here on our own truth, you know? Uh, she comes, you know, like there's no gender jurisdiction, right? She even says that wherever the Dora Milaje is at, that is our jurisdiction. Uh, she is definitely living by her own truth and you can't stop them. They are a force, uh, whether you like it or not. Um, and, you know, it's only by, by uh, Bucky really pleading and trying to strike some sort of deal to get them to buy time to use Zemo to, to get some answers. And so, but Io, had, she lives by this punitive, absolutist way. Um, again, there's consequences to that as well. We've kind of seen that play out over kind of the Marvel movies, the people who have similar thinking and those thoughts um, that doesn't lead to a, 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 a great path, right? And so, and so all, and all these, uh, and there's many more characters we could try to dive into, but, but I won't. But in all these scenarios, in each one of these characters, there is a a a, a way of thinking, uh, a truth that they hold on to that's personal, subjective to them, that they believe is going to get the answers or at least lead them to the place or help them understand the world that they're in. And really it comes down to this idea of survival. This is how they are going to survive. Whether it's Sam saying, hey, I'm going to pass the shield along. This is how I'm going to survive in this world and try to make do, go back home and just and just try to make connections with family. It doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. <laughs> He's too high profile now, right? There's there's so much has happened. Or Bucky trying to do these acts of kindness that's going to do away with the past that he's gone through. It's just not going to work. And, and again, it goes on, whether it's violence from Carly or John Walker and an authoritarian you know, power, uh, just overpower people. In all these scenarios, it does not help these characters. And no one gets ahead by doing the things that they're doing. And I think that, that this is the, to me, the, the, the special part of this series, particularly to, towards the finale, that a lot of these characters realize this. And, you know, some of the shows you don't get to this point, but but I felt like, man, this they did a great job of, of having all the characters realize the forbidden fruit, right? Uh, realize, okay, this isn't this this is not the way for me to survive in this world now. I've got to change. And almost to Sam's quote in the end, um, we've got to do better. And I think that that's uh really a challenge not only to the GRC in the series finale I believe it's a challenge to all the characters in this show you've got to do better right 
Sam had to do better. He needed to take up the shield. Bucky needs to do better and stop blaming himself and trying to to do good. He needs to see that he has changed, right? Carly needs to do better. Violence isn't going to be the answer. John Walker needed to do better and, and, and stop trying to chase his dream of being something, uh, someone that he's not and how that led to him losing his best friend. Zemo needed to do better, you know, which I don't think he's repentant at all. Sharon Carter needed to do better. And Io needed to do better, right, in terms of working with the greater, uh, the greater goal. Um, and, and that was the whole idea in Black Panther, just the isolationism versus globalism, right, that Killmonger wanted to bring. Like, you guys got all these resources and you're keeping it for themselves. I think that is an inherent struggle from Wakandans in general. It's just this kind of selfish kind of like, I'm, I'm you know, we're keeping to our world, so stay out of our place. And, you know, I understand that's a way of survival, but when you have the resources you have and the people around the world that need them, you need to act on that, right? And so, again, I don't want to get too much on it. I don't think Aya was preaching that so much. I mean, she kind of stays a little neutral in all this. But I think because of what we know from the, the greater Marvel Universe, that is the struggle from Wakandans in general. And I think that's what T'Challa was trying to bring is is this, hey, we need to do better in that way and, 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 and helping the rest of the world. And we see that in Black Panther, which made that movie really cool at the, at the ending. So, so... So there's a lot there, right, um, that we can look at the forbidden fruit. And all of them are taking a bite of that fruit, and it wasn't good. <laughs> In different ways, it, it played out. Maybe I think Io made out the less affected because I think she, I think her storyline, and, and I don't think it fits entirely what, what she was trying to do. But, but there's a problem in that. And, and that's why, you know, even for me talking about this part and even this podcast, there's a problem with that. When you, when you make choices based on your subjective truth, um, it's bias, right? Uh, if you're wrong, you're really wrong <laughs> in all of this. And it butts up against, or I would say clashes up against other people's subjective truth. And we even see that in the show. Sam and Bucky were constantly in, in, in clashing with each other. Why? Because of their own subjective truth. You see Zemo and, and and Sharon and and especially Carly with 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 the guys that John Walker. Why do we have conflicts? Because our own subjective truth and all this. And to me, that was the the biggest problem. All that is that their truth really, in in most of all these cases, made things worse for our characters because of what people believed. And thought that this was the only way. And, and that none of them were really bound to any one perspective. And and because of that, you kind of everyone's kind of on their own program. And really in parts of the show, people are on their own thing. And and that and that disunity and that pulling away um, became uh, problematic and put them in very precarious situations. And even when when the show ends with Sam's plea to the GRC, which again, it's it's a global repatriation council, which was in charge of taking these these displaced persons who came back from the Thanos snap, the blip, and trying to put them in great positions, uh, end up really uh, became like concentration camps all over again, right? A, just a new form of it under a new name. 
And so Sam's plea at the end, when when he has this, this really grand speech, who I thought for the surface value, uh, it was really great. I mean, you you could look at it and say, wow, what a powerful speech. And in many ways it was. But here's the problem with all of that. Here's where it falls flat because of the forbidden fruit. This plea for everyone to do better, this plea to look at the GRC and say, do better. It doesn't make sense in a world where people have their own truths that they live by. In fact, that, that is a motto at times, particularly in the West and particularly in America, you know, live your truth. Well, that sounds great until you actually live that truth amongst other people living their truth. And so for anyone to make any plea to a, a uh, objective moral standing, it falls flat on its face because in our world, and especially in, in, in the world of Falcon Winter Soldier, there is no objective truth. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's laws, but the GRC is an international uh, governing body. They're not bound to anything. Uh, and they may have some, some tenets and things that they should live by, but clearly they were doing things and, and um, running uh, whole camps that no one uh, thought, you know, was... was uh, inherently evil um and so this idea for them to do better do better by whose standards uh i mean okay sam that's great but does does people say that you are the standard i mean even the government that 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 sam's fighting for has has evils you know like so so whose standard are we going to hold to definitely not zemo's definitely not john walker's definitely not carly's definitely not bucky's so who's standard? And is everybody going to agree that your standard is the right one? I mean, even in the show, um, in episode three, we're introduced to this place called Madripoor. Again, I said I was going to touch upon this. It's basically this pirate sanctuary from the 1800s that become this, uh, it's like the most icely, you know, of, of scum and villainy, uh, uh, a place where people go, where, where organized crime is at. Are they going to, you know, are, are you going to leave that place to, to be there? I mean, are they going to agree with their truth and all this? That, that's the real problem, not only for the show, um, that, that thing that struck me for someone, you know, obviously someone who's Christian and, and um, Bible, Bible believer. Um, but I think in our world, too, as well. And I think this has some real implications and problems in our own world. How do we hold people to a standard? Uh, when you live in a world where people have, you know, subjective truth or relativism, right? Um, and people can say, well, society does. And, you know, here in America, we can say that from the laws that we, we institute, that, that that becomes, in a sense, an objective truth. But, but it really isn't because those laws can be changed. Um, and that really just serves, it's still relativism, um, you know, with the form of, of, of objectivity. We vote on those laws that are passed, right? So they could be changed at any point. It can only serve, it serves at a standard. But then what was a standard in the past when, you know, slavery was legal? is <laughs> not now, right? You know what I'm saying? So that in itself isn't this objective standard it, it's liable to change and there's real issues from that and then again in different countries 
how how can we go in to say that what one country does is is bad or not bad? Uh, who gives us that authority? And and obviously American can get uh, we we get criticized for that a lot of being the world's police. And, and again, that that has real problems. We see it clearly. Hopefully, that I explained in the show, um, but it also plays that same way out in our world. Now, people have some different answers, and and I'm sure I'll I'll get um, some responses and and you know tweets ab- about those answers to those who who don't believe in Christianity. But man, I I still call your bluff on that. I think at the end of the day. If you don't have an objective standard, how how do you hold someone accountable? Again, you say, well, we hold them by our laws, but I think you take your laws out of it, right? I mean, how can you say a different country that doesn't does not abide by by our laws here? How can you tell a country that that sex trafficking is evil, and how do you bound them to that if they don't believe that, right? Especially if, if they live in, in, in an environment or a community that that's a source of income or thriving for their economy, right? I mean, it's how can you tell them that? This is the real problem. And this is, again, the greater problem with subjective truth. For those who are listening, if you want to dive into deeper, there's a great book that I've come across. Again, this comes from more of a Christian perspective. Um, it's a book on relativism that's uh, from Francis J. Beckwith and, and uh, Greg Kukul. And um, it's a great book I've been diving into and reading because it's been a, a topic for me to, to, to engage in um, that's been of interest to me. But uh, they get some great, great quotes. And I love this quote in the book that uh, it talks about. It says, culture is complex with many overlapping societies making their claims on us. Behavior acceptable at the gym in the morning is considered gaunch at, dinner, at a dinner party later that evening. The moral convictions of one's religious community may be at odds with the demands of the business community. Which group is primary? End quote. And that's so true. That's the dilemma. Not only do we face from nations among nations and countries among countries, but even within our own country of, of what we call justice. And we've been battling that this past year. How do you view justice? What one group thought was good, another group thought was utterly injustice. And and things are being talked about and unearthed and, and reevaluated, right? Because of how we, each of us saw each other. And I love that quote. I mean, it's so complex uh, when you get into this idea that, you know, what you think is true is true for you and what I think is true is true for me. It's so complex and so layered. It's hard to call anyone to a, any sort of standard. And this is this is the dilemma that that we that we have. Like who has authority? Who can really sort these issues? And even in the show, that's why I felt like who who's to say they to sort these issues? Why is Sam again have the authority? Just it, it maybe because he's called Captain America, we give him authority. Why do we do that? Sam has faults, right? He's not perfect. You know, and what is better? You know, I love that question. It's like, let's be better. I'm like, well, what is better? Obviously, the GRC, when they carried out what they were doing and, and hurting these people and these, these displaced people, they weren't checking on them. They thought that was better. They weren't on the ground. They didn't, they didn't feel what the people felt. And that's what Sam was getting at. 
But they thought that was better in their own minds. So how do we define better? I think, again, that's complicated. Your better is not going to be, even Sam's better is not going to be Bucky's better. I mean, they were arguing over that. And Sam, being a black man, his better is not going to be what the GRC thinks is better. So how, how do you define that ultimately? Who has the last say, right? Now, hopefully at this point, you're thinking like, man, that, what do you do with that, right? And that's the point where we get into our next topic, which is come to Jesus. Now, in our come to Jesus, this is where we see uh, what the Bible teaches is, is objective truth. And from Genesis to Revelations, God establishes himself as the objective truth. He's the one that stands outside of time. He's not like the other gods uh, that we see in these different nations or groups or communities and cultures that are, that are working within the world of their worshipers. God stands outside of that, and he sets himself apart, even how he creates the world. And, and, and you can see that, that train of thought continue to um, just progress, and you get to Exodus 3, and, and God telling Moses, like he's like, I am, I, I've always existed, and giving him that standard, you know, and you get into Exodus 19 and 20, when we get to the Ten Commandments, him saying, like, here is the truth. It's what I say. And you must be bound to that. Again, a lot of people may think, and, and especially in our day, uh, currently, we could view the Ten Commandments as this burden, uh, these laws, these rigid things. That's not what the people thought. It was order. You know, it's the wild, wild west. You know, before the wild, wild west was the wild, wild west. <laughs> when you're living in, in these nomad times, in, in these, um, you know, type of communities where you defend for yourself of any type of raiders or marauders coming in, you've got to establish some sort of unity, establish some sort of core values. And God comes in and says, hey, here are your values. I don't care what anybody says. This is what you are to hold to. And when we get in, in the New Testament, it's no different. Jesus steps on the scene. He says, hey, I am the embodiment of Yahweh. I am an embodiment of, of the God of Israel that introduced himself in Exodus 3. I am. Ego amin, right? And in John 14, 6, Jesus says, you know, makes these bold truth claims that, that you know, we can't ignore. Like, he is boldly saying, this is who he is. You take it or leave it. And, and this is something we can't say, well, you know, he didn't really mean that. No, he meant that. And in John 14, 6, Jesus says to everyone, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Okay, that is a bold claim, and and many of you uh, who are Christian heard this before. And if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, this is a. I mean, you would say like, "Wow, that's a bold claim from a man, from a mere mortal." This is a bold claim to say that he embodies and has the truth, has the way, has the life that every human should draw to. Okay, that he is either insane or completely a liar or there may be something to this, right? Again, this is an outrageous truth claim. But it's establishing what the Bible has done since Genesis, which is there is an objective truth that we all, all humanity needs to be accountable to, needs to follow, needs to submit themselves to. And and, and this is where Jesus divides lines. He draws a line in the sand. You've got to pick a side, right? And it's the famous kind of argument that C.S. Lewis puts up. He wasn't the first to come up with it, but probably the most well-known and it's attributed to him is the whole liar, lunatic, and Lord scenario. You know, again, he's either a liar, Jesus says these things, but he knows them to be false. And he's, and he's, he's you know, he's trying to get one over on people to for whatever reason, right? For his, you know, money, benefit, pleasure, whoever. He's a lunatic, right? He, he, he says these things, but he had, doesn't have the awareness that these things are, are false or they're, they're, he's not capable of doing these things, right? So, He's just, his mental faculties isn't there. Um, Or he's Lord, right? He's the real deal. Now, people have come uh, into this and and strengthened this, because this kind of argument, uh, scholars like Bart Ehrman has poked at uh, this argument because he institutes, well, he could be legend, right? Um, He could have not said any of these things, but over time, uh, his followers could have added these things to his legend, right? But even in that, it still falls short because all the Gospels, even, you know, the earliest Gospel, which is recorded, I mean, it, time fluctuates. I mean, you know, years ago was at 45 to 60 AD. Uh, this recent book I've been reading uh, called Case for Jesus by uh, Brant uh, Petrie uh, talks about, you know, the Gospel range, the earliest Gospel range is 60 to 70 AD. But even in that, the apostles will still be living. Their audience mostly would still be living and would know um, these stories to be false or true, uh, would be well alive in these events, you know, in their 50s or 60s uh, when, they, when they wrote these things. So if he was legend, it would be called out. Uh, if this stuff was untrue, at some form or fashion, it should have been called out. Uh, and these men to be seen uh, as swindlers, right? Uh, as liars. And so even that, in a sense, in some degree, and, and that book does a great job. Again, I'll put, I'll put the links in, in the show notes, to, be, to, to, to not be strong. And so you have to make a choice because Jesus established himself as the objective truth. And to me, that is the come to Jesus moment, is that Jesus is different in this is that we're not appealing to be better. That's the best that Sam could do at the end of of this wonderful series. At the end of like, you have these quote-unquote terrorist groups called the Flax Masters that are killing people because they've been disenfranchised or they've been uh, treated badly. And and you have them 
creating this like world uh, scare and pandemonium because of what the GRC did, you know, that, that really hurt them. And, and, and it has real consequences. People have died. It, it, you know, this whole thing has been set off that, you know, even John Walker, you know, the Black Smashers have killed his friend, Battlestar, who led to John Walker killing someone that, that sent him on a dark path. These are real consequences. And at the end of all of this, the best that Sam could do is like, we need to do better. Like, that's, that's the best he could do. There's no real accountability that he could give them, right? He could probably try to prosecute them for wrong practices against, you know, humanity and and, and try to bring that up uh, in some international council. But they are the international council. I mean, it, it's, you're helpless. If we are to live in a world of subjective truth, we're helpless. It is literally the wild, wild west. If we go back to what we talked about and God's people in, in Abrahamic times, right? I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a doggy dog world at that point. And you're just waiting around, holding on to your truth until someone else brings their truth to overpower you and, and, and calls you into submission to their truth. There's no real hope in that type of world. And, and, and that's what leads me to my last part is what to me had, had hit home the most when I saw the series and that's my personal revelation sobering for me because after i i mean again generally a good series not great but good series sam gives this incredible plea and impassionate plea but then i thought man it, it it falls so short on what he could really do in the world that he's living in because there's no objective standard and and my personal revelation and all of this is that um it's about god's truth not my own it's about God's truth and not my own. And that I thought of Matthew 7, 21 to 23. And um, it both terrified me and comforted me. This scripture is, I would contend, one of the most scary scriptures for believers, right? People who are Christian disciples. This is one of the scary scriptures that um, you can come across because it speaks directly to you. It's not speaking about people who are not Christians or uh, doesn't have a Christian worldview. It's talking to believers, talking to disciples, Christians, speaking directly to you. And in Matthew twenty, Matthew seven twenty one through twenty three, says, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, would enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven." Many would say to me on that day, "Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles?" Then I will tell them plainly. I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Wow. 
And like I said, this this is one of those passages, man, that, that both terrifies me and comforts me. And I'll tell you why. Number one, terrifies. Despite believing right doctrine, biblical principles, you know, they were doing some incredible things, right? The, the right doctrine, they, they, they call God rightfully Lord, Lord. Uh, and they do it twice, which gives this ultimate reverence uh, when you see that the, the doubling of words is, you know, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a literary, literary device, but, but it's shown to give just complete reverence. You know, when Isaiah sees these heavenly creatures, they're, they're saying, holy, 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 a third time, which is just like, kind of like this complete giving lordship to 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 god so so they have the right theology right they they know that god is lord they're, they're not they're not stupid you <laughs> know he's lord but then they're also doing these incredible things right they're living this this life where driving out demons and doing miracles i don't know about you but i i mean i i've helped people which can be seen a miracle but but they're given instances where if you're driving out demons you're doing more than just helping people like like there, there's miracles above that, right? They're not, you know, at the food pantry. They're raising the dead, right? They're casting out demonic forces out of people. This is this is next level stuff right here. So they were doing that and in doing all of that, having in a sense right theology, practicing this this kind of holy life. They found themselves still lost. That's crazy. This group of people still found themselves lost. Why? Well, was it necessarily theology? Again, they knew who God was. God wasn't questioning these acts that they were doing, but that wasn't going to save them. They were doing these things with subjectively, what they thought was right. And the, we, and the reason why we know that, that, that they were doing these things subjectively, is because God gives you his accusation towards them he says you're doing these things but the own the one who only does the will of my father who is in heaven will make it so they were doing these things but they weren't doing god's will they were doing their will right so that's why they were doing these things subjectively so their own truth right going back to the characters we talked about living by whatever the truth they think they should do and that wasn't good enough it was god's truth that was going to save them Ultimately, it's about his truth, his objective truth. And he tells him this. You're not going to make it because you didn't do my will. You didn't live according to my truth. And I'll tell you plainly, I never knew you. You went on what you thought was right. And that's scary. That's the terrifying thing. Okay. And I hope you feel that. Right. I'm, I'm not, you know, trying to create trauma in your life. But, but this, is, this is a sobering scripture. You know, am I living according to what I subjectively want, right? Or am I living objectively to what God says? Whether at times that brings me happiness or at times that convicts me, I'm living according to his truth. You know, there's some quotes um, more from the book of uh, relativism that that I, um, I talked about earlier. Great quotes here. I want to read a couple of them. Here's one of the quotes that, that talks a lot about this, that the problem with this subjective truth versus objective truth. And it reads here, when morality is reduced to personal taste, people exchange the moral question, what is good, for the pleasure question, what feels good. 
They assert their desires and then attempt to rationalize their choices with moral language. In this case, the tail wags the dog. Instead of morality constraining pleasures, I want to do that, but I really shouldn't. The pleasures define morality. I want to do that, and I'm going to find a way to rationalize it. This effort at ethical decision-making is really nothing more than thinly veiled self-interest and pleasure as ethics, end quote. And, and, and that's what we find these people in Matthew 7. They are led by their own truth and pleasures or desires or whatever that was, and then rationalize their way of living. And God stops them in their tracks, dead in their tracks, and say, no, I don't know you because of the way you've been living, right? Here's another quote. It says, when self-interest rules, again from the same book, when self-interest rules, it has a profound impact on behavior, especially affecting how we treat other human beings. The notion of human respect and dignity depend on the existence of moral truth. Without it, there's no obligation of self-sacrifice on the behalf of others. Instead, we discard people when they become troublesome or expensive or simply they cramp our lifestyles, right? Like that's, that's the danger in that, when we live that, that way. And we saw that, you know, uh, in the series of Falcon and Winter Show. We saw that from the GRC. We saw that from so many others where they're just, when they didn't live that way, Zemo exercised that, Sharon Carter, right? When you didn't live... The way, I mean, Sam felt it from the government, you know, that this, this idea of discarding where, you know, we can, we can just get rid of people at, at will, right? Or, or toss them to the side because they don't fit what, in our world. And, um, and here's the last quote I'll read, which is kind of scary before we lead into the good stuff of why this passage is, com- is com- a comfort to me and hopefully it's a comfort to you. But uh, this last quote says, today we live... Today we've lost, sorry, today we've lost the confidence that statements of fact can ever be any more than just opinions. We no longer know anything is certain beyond our subjective preferences. The word of truth now means true for me and nothing more. We have entered an era of dogmatic skepticism, right? Wow, there's some strong language there, end quote, is... Wow, like, like that's the danger in all this. When we, when we really dig our heels into what we believe in, and it's, and it's true for me, and I don't care if it's true for you or not, but this is true for me, then we get into this place where, and then we're okay with that. Like, well, you know, let's be tolerant of each other. It just gets us into a place where then the, is there truth that can be found, or is everything just our opinions and our preferences? And we live in this world that, you know, we're skeptic of everything, which I think skepticism, healthy skepticism is good. But when there, there's no objective truth, then, then why, should I, why should I listen to you anyway, right? It, it's almost, it, it promotes this um, distrust and mistrust. Like, why, why should I try? And I don't, I don't blame anyone. Like, why, sh- why should you even trust me doing this podcast right now, right? Like, if there's no objective truth, who, who's to say what I have to say, Right. Uh, you know, you could take it or leave it. Um, but but it, it just it just causes this inherent mistrust in us, which I don't think is great for humanity. Now, let me get to the comforting part uh, of this passage. And it may be like, Richard, what is this? Part? Let me get to the comforting part. Here's the comforting part. Objective truth for me 
And, and this is not a subjectively for me. This is what I've come to believe from reading God's word and seeing it in, in, in my faith community and church community here. Object, objective truth brings security. It's what the Bible teaches as well. It brings security that there is something outside of myself to hold myself accountable as well as others. It doesn't depend on me, which is scary, right? I mean, if, 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 if truth depended on me, watch out. Um, you know, it is only objective truth in our world that we can truly expect our world to be better because we can point to something, point to, to you know, in, in, in our case, God, who is better. I can say be holy because he is holy. That's the comfort for me, is that there's true accountability. There's true accountability in my marriage. There's true accountability in my parenting. There's true accountability in the workplace. What, you know, I work uh, for our congregation as a pastor. It's true accountability there. Why? Because there's an objective truth. It doesn't rely on, on whoever's leading the church. It doesn't rely on how I feel as a husband or how my wife feels as a wife. It, it, it's We can point to each other. Uh, we could point each other towards the scriptures in the Bible, the objective truth. If I'm being a butthead to my wife, I can't just say, well, you don't understand me. G- get over it. No, she's like, let me show you some scriptures. I'm like, what? You know, like I'm bound to God's truth. I had laid down, you know, my rights and and become subjected to God's truth. And that sounds scary, and maybe if you're not a Christian, that may sound scary, but honestly, that's comforting for me. The same way it was when the Israelites saw and heard the Ten Commandments. Now, they were a little cray-cray when, it came, when Moses came off the mountain. We ain't going to talk about that. But when they got it, it was, it was salvation for them. It was order. It was, it was order for their society and their community, for people to treat each other respectfully. And there was something a set of core values and, and, and things to live by that, that they can call each other to when things got out of whack. And that can help them bring them back to unity. That's the power of God's truth, His objective truth. And, and, that, and that's the power where I could say to people, do better because of who God is. I can say to people, be better because of who God is. And that that's my frame of reference and that I believe from his scriptures that the whole world is under his truth, whether we like it or not. Like gravity, right? Whether you like it or not, there's an objective truth there. And I can hold people accountable to it. Now, again, people say, well, I don't subscribe to that. And, and they do have to answer to God on that. And, and, and time will tell on that end. But man, living towards God's truth and to be able to be in a faith community that lives according to God's truth and not any one person or some dominant figure or someone who's a privileger or whatever, but is left to God and not me, that brings me comfort. And I hope it does to you. And I hope you do see it. And so I, again, going back to the show, love the show. There are some things that that it did fall short on in terms of... of um, you know, theology perspective that really taught me at the end, like, wow, I'm really grateful because living in that world that they live in post blip 
you know, and then blip brought back together. And, and now this world post endgame is still a messed up world. And they're still searching and, and, and looking for answers. And in that world, you're going to always have villains. <laughs> in that world, you're going to always have confusion. Because there's no objective truth for everyone to draw from. And you can only, your best hope is only to appeal to people. And that's it. But what we have in God, what we have in Jesus, is absolute truth. Truth that I can be called to when I make mistakes. Truth that others can be called to when they make mistakes. Truth that we can live to when, when we live out God's will. And be blessed in our lives. But in so doing creates the community that we're, honestly, we're all looking for. That I believe Sam was looking for. That he was asking for. When he told the GRC to, to do better. I believe, man, if I could talk to Sam and, and say, but, but Sam, the, the, Jesus did it. He created that world already. And again, not, not that all of the world subscribes to it. But man, there's communities across the globe that, that are living it. And man, Sam would be, he'd be thrilled to see it. And so that's the cool thing about my faith and being a Christian. And so that's the episode. I was long-winded, good episode, a lot of, lot of stuff in, in the series. I hope you got a lot out of it. If you want to know more about my ministry, you can click on the social links down below. It has some links there to, to you can explore, have fun at it. Uh, thanks for joining Movie Ministry. And listening wherever you are at home, work, community, I mean, life is getting back to normal in some respects. Hopefully you're getting vaccinated and, and are able to live in some way, um, some normal life, um, you know, and, and what is normal, right? You know, that, that's subjective. Um, but uh, yeah, wherever you listen, I'm really grateful. I hope you stick around and continue to support uh, us uh, by telling everybody. Thank you.